this is the beauty about these stocks. Not only are you getting, you know, a, a consistent dividend, okay, but you're also getting capital appreciation. So you don't have to sacrifice one or the other. You're getting a, a two-prong effect on this. You're getting dividends and you're getting capital appreciation. That's how you beat inflation. All right, everybody, welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. We are here, as usual today, to discuss the market's hottest stock stories and investment opportunities. Uh, today, we have Mr. Brian Hicks on the show. Brian is the uh, the founder and the president of uh, Angel Publishing. He's been a prolific trader for uh, for many years, uh, a, a true contrarian in, in every sense of the word. Um, and he, he's a man who is not afraid to made, make uh, bold predictions. Uh, so today, Brian is uh, joining us to share his unique perspectives on the, uh, the state of the economy, we're going to talk a little bit about the direction of the stock market. We're going to talk about uh, home building and real estate. Uh, we're going to touch on the tourism industry, uh, travel, airline stocks. We're going to get into geopolitics and energy a little bit. Basically, a broad macro discussion on uh, on the market. And uh, maybe we'll sprinkle in some specific stocks that Brian is buying or thinking about uh, purchasing to take advantage of all of the recent chaos. Um, quick disclaimer, nothing that we say here today is personal financial advice. Um, also, please like, uh, comment, and subscribe. Uh, the engagement on the channel really helps us out. We can't get do this uh, thing with, uh, without you guys. So, uh, Brian, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. Thank you. Uh, we were initially kind of going back and forth in terms of, uh, in terms of scheduling. Uh, you were initially going to go to Montana. Like, we had you scheduled. Then you were going to go to Montana. We had you not scheduled. Then your flight got canceled, and we, and we rebooked you. So uh, I found this kind of, uh, I guess I wouldn't say funny, but I found it interesting because you have been uh, speaking a lot in our back channels about uh, how chaotic traveling has been. Um, and kind of, you know, boom, there was another example that, that hit you. So uh, I was hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit about your experiences traveling lately. And then also, uh, you know, aside from your personal anecdotes, uh, maybe kind of give us your perspectives on what is going on here, and we could kick off the conversation from there. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> as you know, I go away every summer to my uh, Florida home, and uh, uh, we left after the kids got out of school in mid-June. We immediately went down to um, our house in Sarasota, and uh, I knew that um, just watching the news and hearing stories that uh, air travel was going to be a challenge, and, um, and it was. Uh, I've flown a lot this summer, and all of our flights either have been canceled or or delayed. Yeah, and we left. We came. We left Sarasota to come back to to Maryland on August fourth. And as we were driving to the Sarasota airport, we got a text message um, from Southwest that our flight was canceled. And <clears throat> being who I am, I immediately just got really pissed off and. <laughs> You know, told my wife, "Let's just go back home. We'll, we'll we'll drink or go out to dinner that night, and and we'll I'll drive home. Sure, I'll drive home on. We were we were we were driving back. Uh, we were flying back on a Thursday. I was going to drive back on a Saturday or, or a Sunday. But my wife, being tenacious as she is, she she rebooked our flight, uh, which immediately got delayed um, uh, by about two hours. So what turned out to be uh, a flight that we should have been home by eight o'clock." Uh, turned out we got home around uh, 1 a.m. that that night or that morning. Um, like you said, I was I was about to go to Montana on Tuesday, and lo and behold, driving to the airport to BWI, we get a text um, that our flight was was delayed by 30 minutes, and I knew right away that we weren't going to make our connecting flight to, uh, from BWI to uh, Atlanta to Salt Lake City. 
So I immediately just canceled my my trip. Yeah, you knew it was up because you've gone through it before. Right. And so um, so from that that Friday to that Tuesday, more than three thousand flights were canceled. Yeah. Around the nation, and that brings us up to a to a total in the United States from the beginning of the year, over two hundred thousand flights have been canceled in 2022. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Uh, I, I, you're obviously not alone in this. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I want to kind of give the, uh, the audience a little bit more perspective on this from this uh, Travel and Leisure article that you had sent me. Uh, so yeah, more, more than 100,000 flights have been canceled in the United States so far this year. Um, a significant increase to uh, pre-pandemic levels. Excuse me. Um, it's up 11% from 2019. Um, in addition to all those cancellations, uh, a million flights have been delayed. Um, American Airlines has the most uh, canceled flights this year with uh, 19,000, and uh, Delta Airlines uh, of the major carriers has the fewest. So I guess if, if anyone is watching and considering who to fly, maybe Delta, but uh, I don't know what that's, how that works out in terms of, percentage of percentages of flights. But there was also a day that Southwest canceled more than 37% of its entire schedule. Um, do, do you have any uh, kind of like insight into what's going on here? Sure. Um the airlines are blaming it on two things, uh, uh, weather and staffing issues. Yep. And, um, you know, I've been I've been flying for the better part of four decades and I've and I've flown, you know, probably hundreds of times during the summer. And it's I've never encountered uh, a situation where weather has canceled so many flights like it has this year. I, I think it's it's mainly um, staffing issues. Every time we've we've gone to the to the airport. Um, there's been there's been flights that have been delayed because they couldn't find either a pilot or flight attendants, and they had to wait for they had to wait yep. to, to to find those. Do you think that this trend is going to reverse anytime soon? Because uh, speaking of on uh, staffing shortages, that was kind of the one like positive piece of news that we got uh, from the, the July data was that uh, the the staffing shortages had decreased 9.6%. Um, so I guess maybe I should broaden the question to, uh, you know, what, what does this mean for airline stocks? Um, is it, do you think that this is like a good time to buy? I know that um, American Airlines is down something like 50% still from the beginning of the pandemic, or do you think that this is kind of just the beginning? Well, I can't imagine it getting any worse. Yeah. Okay. So right, right now they're telling us that there's a, there's a pilot shortage and that pilots are retiring in record numbers. Um, I also read something and you know, I, I don't know that I don't remember the source, but that they are um, hiring pilots from overseas to come over to the United States and and, hmm. and fly planes. So, I would imagine that if the in, uh, carriers, if the if they you know if they offer you know the right the right enough incentives and um, uh, training, yep, um, it will get better. But right now, it, it sucks. Okay, let's uh, shift the topic to uh, to a little bit of geopolitics and de deglobalization. Um, not 100% sure how I want to like phrase this question, but um, I think there's kind of this general sense that's, that a lot of people are feeling that the, the U.S. hegemony is, uh, is kind of in decline. Uh, the, the age of dominance may be, may be being threatened. Um, at, the, uh, at the very least, this is kind of like the, the rhetoric that we're seeing coming out of Russia. Uh, recently, we, we saw um, Putin came out with some statements uh, recently that I kind of want to you know, you know, read to just frame this. Um, this, I think this was Monday, uh, and I'm just going to basically pick sections of what he was saying. Uh, he says, uh, Western globalist elites are trying to uh, shift blame for their own failures uh, uh, to Russia and China. Uh, no matter how hard the beneficiaries of the current uh, globalist model try to cling to it, it is doomed. Uh, he says that the era of the uh, unipolar world uh, order is nearing an end. Um, he also blamed the U.S. Um, 
and he said uh, that, that we need conflicts to re retain our hegemony, and that's uh, that's why that that's why we have turned the Ukrainian people into cannon fodder, which I think is pretty f fucking funny gaslighting. Uh, but I, I do think that there is some you know probably merit to this idea that that uh, you know we are reaching an era of deglobalization. Um, but I guess I kind of wanted to ask you you know more specifically, like what are your feelings on this? Do you feel like the power dynamics are really starting to flip, or? Are we kind of just seeing like are these the last gasps of, of the you know Soviet communist uh, you know like the remnants of it? Hmm. I know that's a kind of a complicated. Well, question. in many ways, the worst thing that ever happened to the U.S. was that we won the Cold War. Okay, because uh, during the Cold War, we we all had a common enemy, and that was uh, communist Soviet Union. Once we won the, the Cold War, we needed, we needed an enemy. And take a guess who that enemy is now. Ourselves. Ourselves. Yep. Yep. So there's a, there's a great book um, called uh, The Suicide of the West. And I would, uh, I would urge everybody to read that. And right now, it, it, especially right now, um, we, are at, we are at war with each other. This is the most, you know, I've, you know, I've been on this earth almost 54 years, and this is the, the worst I've ever seen, um, you know, our culture, our, our society. We're at each other's throats. Um, and our adversaries. Love it. They love it. Yeah. They've, they've, they, they have taken, they observe this. And not only do they observe it, they probably, they probably add fuel to the fire. Um, so we better get our house in order. We better figure this out um, because if we don't, um, this is going to be China's century for sure. Yeah. So you've, you've actually kind of already segued into, you know, what I wanted to talk about a little bit here, which is, um, you know, I, I don't want to like, you know, this is an investing podcast, so I don't want to like bog our audience down too much with the, the whole culture war thing. But um, I mean, these, these things are relevant to the market sure. still. Um, I think probably the best example of that was what happened with COVID. Um, you know, initially when the pandemic was starting to break out, there was this battle between left and right. There was this political battle of, um, you know, the economy versus your grandma. Right. Um, and the right was basically saying, look, this is going to have profound, you know, repercussions on the economy. Uh, we can't we can't shut everything down. This is going to end in pain. Um, and then the, the last response was, you know, you don't care about your, you want your grandma to die or, you know, maybe I'm, I'm oversimplifying things. Uh, but. You know, these these things, these kind of cultural and political, like, that dichotomy does matter. Um, so my question for you is, do you think that there is hope for a U.S. free market? Or are we kind of just on this, like, you know, unavoidable trajectory towards a state of, you know, increasing government control? Hmm. Well... <sighs> So in the beginning of uh, of COVID and the lockdowns, one of my favorite phrases was, you know, and this is a, this is not my phrase, but you know, the cure is worse than the disease. Yep. And um, in my opinion, it was way government overreach. Yeah. Okay. And I also w was also arguing that the real pandemic was going to happen after that pandemic. Yep. That we were going to be dealing with uh, the aftershocks of these lockdowns for years to come, and we and we're and we are. Yeah, we, we truly are. I mean, right now we're dealing with um, insane inflation. Uh, we are we were we're dealing with a, a depressed population. We're dealing with uh, school kids who have lost a year or two of learning. 
um, these these are severe, profound uh, developments that's going to take a long time to unwind. Um, I do have hope, though. I do hope. I do have hope that uh, you know we we will come to our senses. Uh, free markets will come to the rescue, uh, and um, you know capitalism will eventually save the day. You know. There was a recent poll that's something like three out of four Americans believe that the Amer- that America is on the wrong the wrong path. Yeah. When I see numbers like that, okay, that's the time to start investing like crazy because it just either we're going to descend into hell and chaos and it dic- won't really matter a dictatorship. Yeah. yeah. Or you know, you know, smarter people are you know, you know the, you know the. Smarter people are going to prevail, and you know this 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 whole craziness that we're experiencing right now will unwind. Yeah. So you think that maybe we're at peak fear at the moment? I think we're well, close. Yeah, I think I think well. I mean, <clears throat> I've been through a lot of market crashes. I have. I've been through a lot of bear markets, and um, even the co- even the COVID scare was not as bad in my opinion, as the financial crisis of 2007 through, through 2009, okay? In 2007, 2009, we were, we were facing a systemic meltdown, like going to your ATM and trying to withdraw money and the ATM saying, you know, come back in two weeks or, or a month. Yeah. Uh, with COVID, you know, they, you know, they, they kept telling us, it t- you know, two, two weeks to flatten the curve. So we knew there was going to be an end to it. You know, we knew that there was going to be some sort of end to it. But, you know, like all good crises, government didn't let that crisis, you know, end yeah. anytime soon. Uh, so uh, it's funny you bring up the, you know, the 2008 crisis. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, home building and real estate. Sure. Um, you, you've made a decent chunk of change in, in your in your career uh, investing in real estate uh, and, and home, uh, maybe not necessarily home building. But, uh, you know, are you just have you just gotten lucky or are there specific things that you're looking for uh, in in zip codes and in homes that uh, has kind of, you know, added to your success here? Sure. My, my very first investment, I would say, um, was in Bethany Beach, Delaware. And I was looking for, I was looking for a vacation home. I wasn't really looking to, to, I honestly wasn't looking to make a killing in the real estate market. Yeah. I was looking for some place I can take my family and we could, uh, you know, go there on the weekends or for, or for the summer. Um, but I was looking for a community and this, uh, the, that, the house that I purchased was being built in this community, um, and it was it was being advertised as a retirement community. And at the time, I think I was like thirty four or thirty five years sure, old. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we, we were definitely the youngest couple in that community, but I was looking for something that was going to be in demand. And with the aging population, I knew that um, uh, retirees were going to be looking for, you know, warmer climates. Uh, a place where you know everything was taken care of. You know where my Bethany house is. We have you know pools. We have um, uh, gyms. We have you know tennis courts. We now have pickleball courts. Yeah. Um, it's it's a quality of life living. And I bought that house for uh, three hundred and seven thousand dollars. What year? Uh, Two thousand seven. And we are putting it. We're putting it up on the market as we speak. Sure. And it's been valued at eight hundred and twenty thousand dollars. I don't know if I'll get that. Sure, 
but you know that's a that's a nice appreciation. Did you when you, so you bought in two thousand seven? Then there was the housing crash. Did you see your like? Was there like a moment where the market dipped and you kind of were like thinking like I just got to hold on to this or that did that worry you at all? Oh, I was scared to death. Yeah. Because um, the, the actual housing crisis like it really hit in two thousand five. So by two thousand seven, I thought okay, this is going to be over. Yeah. Um, I was wrong uh, because that all that debt from the housing the housing market was being pushed into the, like all the investment bankers, all the, all the investment banks, et cetera. And that debt had to be paid off and housing really cooled. Um, there was a time in our community and our community was in high demand. There was a time when no houses were being built. And so, yeah, of course I was, I was, I was sweating bullets. Um, but luckily I had a, I had a, a buffer, you know, I had enough in my savings account and my stock account that I could weather the storm. You know, I was I was luckier than than, than a lot of people, um, and we held on, and, and so far it looks like it's going to pay off. Sure. So, uh, uh, speaking of uh, con- you know housing, the housing market cooling, um, construction starts uh, fell in July to the slowest pace since the uh, the early 2001s, uh, 2021. Excuse me. Um, canceled deals, uh, canceled deals rose. Uh, obviously, we have uh, rising mortgage rates. Um, home builder sentiment uh, slid for the eighth straight month in August, uh, which is the worst stretch since uh, 2007. Um, home Depot reported uh, earnings uh, recently. Uh, they're, uh, they beat earnings, but uh, they were saying that uh, c- uh, customer transactions have continued to fall. Um, and that's a pretty decent indicator because uh, I think something like 90% of their customers are uh, homeowners. Um, residential starts dropped by uh, nearly 10%. Uh, last month and applications to build declined by 1.3%. Um, so obviously the, uh, the, the re- current real estate market is, uh, is starting to cool. Um, do you have any, um, you know, based on your experiences last time and your experience in the market, do you have any kind of insight in terms of uh, when people should, uh, should start buying again? Or are there any indicators that, that you're going to be looking for that, that will kind of tell you to do that? Yeah. Um, so the pandemic really was the catalyst for for a housing boom, especially in um, places that weren't really that didn't lock down hard, like Florida, for instance, and Idaho, and Texas, and Georgia. Um, <clears throat> those, and, and I can speak from experience because also I have a I have a house in in Florida. The housing market, at least until a, a few months ago in Florida, was 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 outrageous. Um, I sold a condo. I had a condo in, in Florida um, that I bought in 2014 for two hundred and sixty thousand uh, dollars. This past January, those those condos were going for six hundred thousand um, dollars. I haven't seen any really cooling in my neck of the woods in Florida. Sure, but I do know that it's starting to to cool off. Um, People and you know people who who buy houses, what they want is they want they want to, they want certainty, they want some clarity. And right now, you know, especially like the current administration is 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 just there's no there's no um, there's no confidence in the Biden administration, and there's really no confidence in in um, really the Fed. And so I think people are just they're 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 in a holding pattern right now, yeah. and they're going to wait and see what happens. Eventually, you know that had you know. People need some place to live, and rents are, are crazy sky high. Yeah. So that's your that's your dilemma. Do you rent sky high or do you buy sky high? Well, I think that's the problem is that a lot of uh, a lot of you know 
people that are just looking to buy a home for themselves are competing with a lot of like corporate landlords at this point, mm-hmm. and, and they're, it's really, really difficult to, to outbid them. And then when they outbid you, they just keep the rents high. So it is, it's a, it seems like something has to break at, at some point. I mean, I live, you know, my primary residence, you know, where I raise my family is in a rural part of Maryland, and they're building houses like crazy, and houses that go on the market are being, are being, you know, are being bought like right away. So. Um, maybe I'm lucky. Maybe where I'm, where I live, and where I have my real estate is in, you know, you know, m- maybe a little bit insulated, sure, from the general market. Um, but I, you know, a lot of these boom towns like Boise, Idaho, and um, Bozeman, Montana, have definitely have cooled off in the past six months for sure. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our final topic, which is um, uh, energy stocks or the energy industry. Uh, you know, when we were speaking before this podcast, you were telling me that, um, you know, one of the ways that you're fighting inflation right now, I guess, aside from, uh, <clears throat> you know, any real estate investments that you might have, um, is you, you are investing in, in energy stocks. Um, so could you explain uh, kind of your theory behind this, you sure. know, why this works and uh, maybe give us a little bit of detail about your strategy? So uh, do you remember about, do you remember like three months ago, I told you that, um, so I actually sold a lot of my stock positions um, in early January, and I was that was pretty much almost ninety percent in cash. Yeah, um, it was about three months ago though that I started to really put in a lot of money back into the market, and I was buying around then too, but I didn't sell as hard <laughs> as you did in early January, so I only had so much cash available. And I went heavy into oil and gas uh, assets. And specifically, oil and gas assets that were kicking off pretty high dividends. I love oil and gas assets that either pay quarterly or monthly dividends. And um, a couple of the names that I that I bought um, is a is a MLP, a Master Limited Partnership. Um, the name of the company is MPLX, and that's the symbol of the of the stock. When I bought it, I bought it for $17 a share. It's trading now for $34 a share. And it's kicking off right now, today, 8.5% dividend. So when I bought it, it was, it was kicking off a 17% dividend. Yeah. So the one way you beat inflation, okay, this is the beauty about these stocks. Not only are you getting, you know, a, a consistent dividend, okay, but you're also getting capital appreciation. So you don't have to sacrifice one or the other. You're getting a, a two-prong effect on this. You're getting dividends and you're getting capital appreciation. That's how you beat inflation. Are there what would you say to the to someone who would who would say, well, you know, oil is on its way out. Uh, you know, renewable energy is the future and that's part of the reason why you're you're getting, you know, a good deal on a stock like that is because uh, because it's, you know, it's it's doomed. I've been hearing that ever since I started investing in 1994. Yep. Um, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, oil and gas are so are so connected to our. our it's not just it's not just about the tra- you know transportation industry. Everything that we do, every, everything here, somehow was built, created with a fossil fuel. Yeah, oil and gas, and that's not going to end anytime soon. So. Um, <clears throat> When there's a crisis in Europe with Russia and Ukraine, and Europe is right now, Europe is is looking at a, a hard winter. Yeah, 
Well, well, Germany is going back to coal, right? They, like, a lot of you know, have these countries that have been grandstanding about you right. know they're all these targeted emissions, and they're kind of like they're rewriting certain rules to make certain things they're now green that they you know, they didn't used to be green. Uh, so yeah, they, they they do seem to be in a lot of trouble. Well, we're we're sh- you know the United States is shipping record records a record amount of uh, LNG and natural gas to Europe, yep. and that's not gonna that's not gonna that's not gonna stop anytime soon. Um, so I you know. That's where the bulk of my portfolio is in right now is, and believe it or not, I actually one of my one of my best performers in my portfolio is a coal stock. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what what uh, what like kind of made you decide to buy a coal stock? Uh, it was depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kicking off a big dividend, and I knew so another and 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 this is where the anecdotal evidence you know stories come in. So the other owner of, of Angel Publishing lives in Montana, and in Montana, there's a huge railway, railways actually going through that state that go to the West Coast, to, 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 to Washington. Um, and in those ports are ships waiting to take American coal to Asia. And he was telling me there were trains miles long, just full of coal, yeah. just going nonstop to the West Coast. And that's what I knew. It was like, you know, it's, you know, maybe the West is trying to eliminate, you know, its coal consumption. But, you know, out West in, in Asia, uh, it, they're still eat, they're, they're, they're starving for energy and they're starving for coal. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how if you were to just shut off, you know, these energy sources, how much more expensive and uneconomical it makes these other energy sources that are already kind of, you know, yeah. a little a little bit too expensive. Um you had uh, you sent around an article earlier about the uh, climate activists uh, slashing uh, tires, which I, I find pretty ironic because you need oil to make tires. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Is that just like part of me thinks that's kind of just like you know, it's happening a couple places and it's making big news. Do you think that's something that's going to like become more common? Or I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to become common. I, I hope not, um, because if that starts to happen, when you know, if these activists slash the wrong person's truck yeah. tires somebody's dying yeah and i don't want to see that so um but they seem to you know they seem to be pretty emboldened you know they have a friendly president you know in the white house and and it's really not him that's i think is calling the shots it's the people around him yeah for that sure are, that are pretty nutty that are calling the shots so well, as long his, as they feel he's emboldened. got his cue card to tell him what yeah what yeah to yeah say. yeah all right. Uh, are there any uh, any other specific stocks in the uh, the energy sector that that you're you know looking at right now that you want to mention? Or sure. So <clears throat> this is a stock that I just recently bought, um, probably about a month ago. It's called Sitio Royalties, and uh, basically it's a royalty company that owns mineral and uh, oil rights, and they're heavily involved in the Permian Basin. And the Permian Basin, you know, if we've been touting the Permian Basin for a long time, ever since its rebirth. And that that basin is not going away anytime soon. It's it's it, it's in fact this fall, it keeps hitting. Well, after the after the lockdowns and the pandemic, it's the Permian the Permian is back making monthly records in terms of production. Yeah, and, uh, and Biden is currently pushing to to basically have these oil producers uh, put it put out more. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, back in June. He he urged. 
uh, American oil and gas companies to, to produce more, and the Permian is, gonna, is, is, is really pumping out as, as much as, po as possible. So Scythia owns, uh, has the rights to 12,700 wells in the United States, uh, trades for $28 a share, but 10% dividend. That's what I love to see. I love, I love getting income from these companies. Uh, the other company that, in, in my opinion, man, this is the rock star of the oil and gas companies, Petrobras. Okay, it's a Brazilian, you know, it's the big... Sure, yeah, why Petrobras? Well, <clears throat> so check out these fundamentals. A PE of 2.8, an EPS of 5, a dividend, cash, a cash dividend of $6.91. Um, and what was the share price again? You said it's fourteen dollars. Yeah. I bought it at seven dollars a share, so I'm already up a hundred percent. And plus, I'm getting a, a crazy dividend. Uh, the revenue right now uh, is one hundred and nine billion, up from fifty three billion from twenty twenty from the from the pandemic. Um, that is a stock that you know I'm going to own until something happens because sure. the dividend yield is just so crazy. Um, and you know I. I'm suspicious of the dividend yield. Right now, the dividend yield is at 47%. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, you think you worry that's some kind of trap. But every time I think it's a trap, you know, every, every, at, you know, at the end of every month or the beginning of every month, I get this huge dividend check. Yeah. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, cry about it or complain about it. The other stock I want to talk to you about is uh, I'm very big on agriculture for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before in our podcasts and especially in our reports. Um, anything that has to do with fertilizer. And the one company that I just, uh, I recently bought is called CVR Partners. Symbol is U-A-N. Okay. I bought it on August 9th, 19th for four, $114 a share. Today it trades for $140 a share. And it's kicking off a $16 or 16% dividend. So fertilizer, in my opinion, is going to is is the next hot story play. Yeah, we we have it for the next year or two. Yeah, we've been talking about that for at least like I think eight months. Luke has been Easy, yeah. really ahead of that story. Is that where you got kind of that information passed on, or? Well, yeah, I wasn't aware of the situation of the of the of the agriculture situation until yeah. Luke Burgess really explained it to me in detail. Um, because I also wasn't aware that the climate activists were really trying to. Um, uh, eliminate fertilizer. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Yeah. You know, like what, you know, what bad could, can come from that, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know eliminating fertilizer. So, uh, yeah, I'm seeing more and more stories about the, the food crisis. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's scary stuff. So that's going to be huge. In my opinion, anything agriculture is going to be huge for the next year or two until we figure this out. All right. Anything else you, uh, you want to plug or you think that we, uh, we haven't covered? Yeah. Well, you know, we have a report, you know, right now, um, everybody can can access, and it is three income stocks uh, from the Permian Basin, and that's from our editor Keith Cole, uh, energy investor. So I would urge everybody to take a look at that, because <clears throat> those stocks are not only going to go up in price, but you're also going to get a steady, sweet dividend yield uh, for. I mean, at least I, I would say for the next three to five years. All right, cool. We'll throw in a link so they yep. could, uh, the audience can check it out. Uh, Brian, good to have you on the show. All right, thank you. And uh, see you next time. Yep.